greetings, my name is Adam Draycott, and you're watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. This has been prepared for Sunday the 13th of August 2023. Our sentence of scripture comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. The Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. It is a beautiful picture of fellowship. And I'm going to invite uh, you to join with us now as we fellowship with God in a time of praise.
Let's pray. God, our Father, without you, nothing is holy. Nothing has value. Guide us to everlasting life by helping us to use wisely the blessings you have given to us in the world. We ask for your help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we come to the ministry of God's word, uh, today our preaching series continues in the book of Acts. Our psalm comes from uh, Psalm number 67 and our preaching passage comes from Acts chapter 28 beginning at verse 11 uh, right through to the end of the chapter. Uh, please pause this video and take a moment to th read through that passage. Let me pray. Our loving Father, help us to use this time well, that we would read your word, that you'd apply your word to our hearts by your spirit, that you grow us in Christ, that we glorify you. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who loves a story with a good cliffhanger ending? Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. I love that movie. Tanya, my wife, no, not so much. Han Solo is held hostage. Uh, Luke Skywalker is hospitalised. The end credits start to roll and it all seems hopeless. Who will save the universe from the dark side? And it leaves us hanging. So many unresolved questions. How do you feel about this ending in the book of Acts? It is anticlimactic. It is so unresolved. What will happen to Paul? Will he appear before Caesar? What will the verdict be? Why this ending? Well, last week the story nearly did end. Chapter 27 verse 20 says they gave up all hope of being saved. Amidst the mess of a fallen world, out of the chaos, the Lord shows grace. He keeps his promises. He brings deliverance. Now in verse 11, they've sat the winter out three months and now they're on their way again. And it's another Alexandrian ship. This one has the figurehead of twin gods Castor and Pollux whom are gods of navigation and patrons of seafarers, apparently. Uh, Syracuse, then Regium, verse 13. That means they've done the toe of Italy, and now they're heading north to a major port called Puccioli. <laughs> you got to say it like an Italian might. <laughs> uh, it's Rome's principal shipping port, big city, Next stage of the journey will be on foot. Um, you know when you get a postcard and, and all it says is having a great time, blah, 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 love, love such and such? Uh, short descriptions leave you wanting more. Well, verse 14 is a little bit like that. Uh, there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. <laughs> so random, who are these randoms? Tell me more, Dr. Luke. Why are you holding back? There's got to be a story there. Then notice, verse 5, words of fulfillment. 
at the end of verse 14. And so we came to Rome. Yay! They've arrived. This is bigger than the moon landing, I reckon. Right? This is a million people in Rome. The Italians, the Greeks, the Syrians, the Persians, the Judeans, the Egyptians, the Spanish, Gauls, French, uh, Germans, Brittany. They brought their cups of tea. And all their gods and Caesar himself. Here is the seat of Roman power. And do you see the development that God's messenger, God's special person, the appointed Paul, has arrived. He's turned up in this space. Now, yes, Christians are already there. That's true. But with Paul comes God's particular person. He comes with apostolic authority, the authority of Christ to speak Christ's words as his ambassador. From the Jewish capital of Jerusalem to the Gentile capital of the world, Rome. This is epic. This is a wonderful ending. By the way, it's not the work of Castor and Pollux, but I reckon you already know that. Uh, This is just as the Lord has promised. Uh, This is just as the Lord has promised. Uh, Acts 23.11, the risen Lord Jesus said to Paul, Go and testify uh, uh, in Rome, and now it's happening. So application for us, uh, you can trust God at his word. You can. You really can. Is there a lesson about guidance here? Absolutely. Do we discern God's will by reading circumstances or by knowing God's word? Have a think. When things are tough and you struggle and we experience difficulty, why do we assume God is closing the door and that he wants us to stop or that God doesn't want that because it can't be God's will because it's not working? Why do we think that? Why do we assume hardship and struggles are signs from God telling us to give up? Why do we do that? Is that how we discern God's will? Did Paul think like that? Did you read chapter 27? Did Paul think the Lord was closing doors with a storm, the shipwreck and the snake? And the answer is no. Paul discerned God's will by remembering God's promises declared through God's word. So here is the lesson on guidance. Know your Bibles. Know God's promises. Know God's word. Knowing God's word must always take precedence over reading circumstances. As we come to verse 15, have we seen airport travellers? You, you know, you know, they get through customs, they go through the gate, and they're greeted by family, hugs abound, and it's lovely. Well, there's a touch of that in verse 15. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius. I think you can still visit that. And the three taverns to meet us at the sight of these people. Paul thanked God and was encouraged, right? Uh, 
Look at this reception. It's beautiful. Roman Christians know he's coming. And so they're so keen they go out to meet him. This is, well, this isn't like going to a, a local airport. This is a five or six day walk. This is more than 200 kilometers. Uh, this is a delegation from the Roman church to whom Paul wrote, to, of which Paul longed to visit. And, and so we see prayers answered here. And it should make us smile and be glad and fill us with warm fuzzies. It should. It is another example that Christian love is selfless and radical and quite literally it goes the extra mile. This is a beautiful reception. Now, have you ever got off the plane and there's no one to meet you? And who is that person here in this story? Who is Paul chained to? Julius the Centurion. That is the right answer. There's no one there to greet him. And then what does he make of all this beautiful, lovely Christian welcome and hospitality? What does he do with it? Well, we're not told. It's open. But how about his attitude towards Paul himself? I don't reckon, do, do you reckon Paul's a flight risk? Nah. <laughs> Even Julius knows he wants, Paul wants to go to Rome. That's the mission. Even Julius would know he's otherwise innocent. There are no charges laid. And so the reception of Rome itself to Paul, a prisoner, it actually turns out to be fairly favourable. You get a clue in verse 16 and verse 30. They tell us that Paul is able to rent a house and welcome all who come to see him, albeit under a guard. But still, it sounds like a bit of a win for a prisoner. How about the reception of Jewish leaders in Rome? How does that go? Well, verse 17, we pick it up. Three days later, Paul called together the local Jewish leaders, because that's what you do. <laughs> uh, when he had assembled, or when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so... I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. After everything, hostility, violence, lies, opposition, what on earth is Paul doing here? Why does he bother? I mean, would you? Would you receive these guys and let them into your new digs? Would you invite them over? Shouldn't Paul feel resentment? Isn't he feel entitled to feel angry and hurt and even withdrawn? But here, read those words, there is no us and them mentality. In fact, it's the opposite. He's basically saying to them three things. Verse 17, I've done nothing against the Jews. Verse 18, the Romans have nothing against me. I'm innocent. Verse 19, and I've got nothing against the Jews. In fact, verse 17 you're my brothers, our people, our ancestors. He's very inclusive. 
So why? Well, verse 20. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is, here's why, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. That's a literal chain. Verse 21. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. Yeah, local Christians know, and they walk two hundred more than 200 kilometres to connect with Paul. These guys, they're oblivious. Heard nothing, not seen, not heard nothing. It's quite striking. Verse 22, but we want to hear what your views are. Oh, that's nice. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Oh, dear. Well, what is it that people find so objectionable about Christian faith? Through Acts, we've seen it's a new community of compassion in the ancient world, a community of generosity which cares deeply for the welfare of people. It's other person-centred. Have we seen the gospel make people better? Do we remember the eunuch, Lydia? Do you remember the jailer and his family? Do you remember Cornelius and all of his mates come to Christ? It's amazing. Or Barnabas or Philip, Peter, Paul, Stephen. Stephen. Seriously, what is not to like? What is it that people find so objectionable about this sect? These days, why do people use the name of Jesus as a swear word? Is it rational or is it irrational? Why are Christians pushed to the margins? Why is Christianity in some quarters of counselling deemed Harmful to your mental health. Even the idea of forgiveness is under threat. Friends, this is the new battlefront. I don't know what you reckon the new battlefront is, but I want to say to you it's forgiveness. The idea that you need God's forgiveness, for starters, is an affront. And expecting people to forgive when they don't have to, and apparently shouldn't have to, uh, is deemed spiritual abuse. I mean, how dare you? I don't owe anybody anything. Why is anger the norm? Apparently it's everybody's right to be angry. It's an expression of your authentic self. Give in to your hate. Makes you stronger, gives you focus. Who, who said that? <laughs> this is exactly what Jesus said in John fifteen twenty five. It's to fulfil what is written. They hated me without reason. Verse twenty three. 
They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. I bet he did. Paul explains the hope of Israel. Notice this kingdom of God talk is in stark contrast to the kingdom of Caesar. Notice the kingdom of God is anchored in promise. Moses, prophets, you want to know Jesus? Get to know them. But ultimately it's about fulfillment. It's about the kingdom's king and his name is Jesus. You got it. Jesus is the risen hope of Israel. Jesus is the real and lasting hope for our world. And so Paul is consistent. But of course, so is the response to the Jews. See, see their reception of the gospel. Look at verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said. Hallelujah. But others would not believe. They are incredulous. Do you like that word? Incredulous. So one more thing before you go, says Paul. Verse 25. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. This is the drop the microphone moment. <laughs> but they're the ones leaving, not Paul because he's in chains. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Uh, Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. In Isaiah, the words speak of what will happen. It's a future promise. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus quotes these words and uses them to explain what is happening in the present at that moment. And now Paul frames these words to say as to what has happened. Israel's reception of the Messiah was rejection. And Paul is saying, don't do what they did. Don't do what they did. That's Israel. Heard Jesus, not listening. Laid eyes on Jesus. Couldn't see for looking. But if they did... They'd know their sin. They'd know their need for mercy. They'd know God's forgiveness. They'd know the enormity of God's love and grace and the true righteousness that only comes through him. They'd experience the indwelling of the Spirit. And they'd know the hope of the resurrection. And they'd know Jesus as their Messiah, their Saviour and King. And God would heal them just as he promised. But they don't. 
they are incredulous. I mean, here we are at the end of, the, uh, uh, end of Acts. Are you filled with this sense of same, same? I mean, we're doing this again. We know how it goes. Why bother? We've been here before. It's getting a bit boring. Monotonous. And we know how it ends. And maybe we feel a little sad still, but unsatisfied, a bit meh. Why end like this? Or is that our mistake? Is it my inability to hear or see? Is it my heart that's calloused? Well, think again. Why would Paul receive these local Jewish leaders here? Why would he invite them over? The answer is very simple. Because the Lord's not finished. He's not finished with them. He's not done with them. And that's why Acts feels a little bit unfinished. Paul's missionary journeys. It's why so often he's off dropping into the synagogues. Where's he going? He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Yeah, that's true. And look, he now stands in their capital. But ministry to the Gentiles doesn't negate ministry to his own people. Yes, Paul is under house arrest. Yes, he's in chains. But the gospel is proclaimed boldly and without hindrance to anybody and everybody. God's word is not chained. And so this is a story that is still unraveling. It's why this ending is so open. It's why it's like this. Because the Lord is not finished, even with the Jews. Romans chapters 9 to 11 is worth a look if you have more questions about that. And today, the story is not finished. Well, the Lord Jesus is still at work by the Spirit through his inspired, Spirit-inspired witnesses, I should say. The church continues to proclaim the gospel without hindrance, boldly as we await the return of Christ. The story keeps going. Here is our place in the story. And so maybe we ask, well, how's that going? How's that working out for you as you find your place in this story? That continues. I was complaining to someone about praying for a, a, so long for a mutual friend who's not yet come to the Lord and I felt resigned. And what did they say to me? Their counsel was, Adam, the Lord is not finished with him. I'd given up doesn't mean the Lord has. So guess what? I'm back praying for my mate, as I should be. Uh, we have loved ones, children that we've tried to raise right, right? Loved family members, long-standing friendships. Have you given up? Friends, the Lord isn't finished. Not until he comes back. It's not done. So keep praying. Keep bearing witness to our risen Saviour. Here at St Augustine's, our fifth core value is outreach. We must be light in the world, following the steps of these guys, living and proclaiming the gospel. And we must pray to that end, because the Lord is not finished. The Lord continues to be at work, growing his kingdom here in Inverell and across the globe. And he's not going to be finished until his return. Do you know that? Here is... The last reason for this ending, and it's pretty simple. Not only is the Lord not finished, 
Luke wants to elicit a response from the reader. He's asking the reader, don't do what Israel did. Are you listening? Stick your ears on. Understand. Can you see it? Open your eyes. That's the invitation. Don't be blind to this. Before God, check your heart. See that the Saviour has come. See that he is good news. That everything Jesus touches, he undoes the curse. He's coming to bring in his kingdom. And it is coming. There is no stopping him. So don't get left behind, people. This is a kingdom of love and of grace and of forgiveness. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. So turn to Christ and live. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, please uh, enter into a time of prayer. Uh, on the blue screen are some prayer points to help you uh, with your prayers. I commend them to you. Yeah. 